Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal, here with my colleague from the Detroit Free Press, Chris Solari. It is um, Thursday, August 24th, eight days before Michigan State's opener against Central Michigan that we are recording this. We also have some new audio equipment, so hopefully our dulcet tones are coming through uh, a little more pleasing to your ears. You, you sound like a warm, uh, buttery cinnamon roll. Yeah, I, I feel like I want to do something on NPR right now. That's what I really, I do, I do feel that way. Yeah, uh, hopefully this uh, clears up some of the issues that that listeners had with some of the the audio issues that we've had over the last few years. Primarily my fault. I, I've spilled way too many crumbs on my computer, and it's affected the uh, the natural audio. You so also I, spilled too uh, many crumbs on my computer and affected the audio. That's, so that, that that's fair enough. Yes. Um, all right, so we're we're gonna have a, a conversation about MSU football. Uh, heading into uh, leaving fall camp, uh, heading into game week in the season. Um, you know, we'll do another one of these uh, previewing the Central Michigan game uh, next week. Um, but let, let's uh, let's start, Chris, with the position that that everybody is is maybe most intrigued by. Long snapper, obviously, is long snapper. Yes, Hank Pepper. and. Uh, Important. Look, I mean, <laughs> last year they found. I think what Tucker said at, at media days a month ago. Now he said, you know, you don't realize how important that is till you don't have one. Um, but the quarterback position, uh, it, you know, Caton Hauser or Noah Kim, uh, Sam Levitt, you know, the the, the heralded freshman is also uh, included in that. But it would be a, a stunner if it's not uh, Kim or, or or Hauser. And you know, it, Mel Tucker has not tipped his hand on this. Uh, you know, you, you hear various reports out of scrimmages about who was better, where, what. I still, my gut still tells me that Noah Kim will be under center for that first snap against Central Michigan, and they'll go from there. And that that there's a plan for the other guy, for Caton Hauser, uh, to see meaningful time. What do you think? Yeah, I think the blueprint is what you saw last year early on at Michigan, um, where Caden McNamara came back as the incumbent starter, but. It was pretty clear that J.J. McCarthy was the future at that position for the team. And I believe they swapped starts, if I'm not mistaken, in the first couple games before McCarthy landed the the starting job. I could see a similar situation here playing out. But I also think that, listen, anytime a coach takes over a program, they want to install their people in the most important positions. And with Peyton Thorne, departing in in the spring that allows Mel Tucker and his staff to start thinking about moving towards Caden Hauser which I think everybody in that inside that program at some point realizes that they need to see what that kid is as a four-star recruit particularly because other four-star recruits coming after want to see how quickly you're going to get a guy on the field so it's, it's a, a fascinating dynamic that plays out more than just even though they want to say it's going to play out on the field, there are other things I think at play beyond simply just who's the best guy right now for this team. Because it very well could be Kim and it very well could be Hauser, but I think at, at some point you also have to get a guy, get a guy that you've brought in and, and basically sold your program's vision on to a chance to run that program. So what's interesting about the the Hauser Levitt dynamic, and you're talking redshirt freshman freshman to me, is it creates something where like Mel Tucker said something about the idea that um, you know when he was at Georgia they recruited the number one quarterback in the nation three straight years. That's just what you do, and you know Justin Fields transfers, and um, 
you know that then that's just what what is what, what's interesting about having Levitt is I think it takes the pressure off of what becomes of Hauser. Like, in other words, if this year, say Noah Kim starts at Central Michigan, looks pretty good, and they give Hauser some some reps, but but Kim's the better guy this year, even if Hauser's got a higher, you know, it's like, and you're going to play the better guy because all the players on the team see who the better guy is and whatever. And and you're worried about what that means for Hauser long-term and all that. You have another guy you're really high on who's just as heralded, a class behind him. And if you're recruiting these guys year after year, you're going to lose some of them. And so I think that does take a little pressure off. This isn't like this is the one veteran, this is the one heralded guy they've really had, and and you know how does this break down? I, I think the other interesting dynamic of this is that um, it's just how much, and you and I have talked about this, how much eligibility that Noah Kim still has left. So I mean, and, and that's the thing that was weird. It's it, it's been weird about all of this. It was weird with Peyton Thorne, who technically had two years left. It was weird about Kim has three years left technically, right? So like that is the the the, the extra COVID year with that group still, and Kaiten Hauser and 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 um, Sam Levitt don't have it. That's created uh, just the thing where like Noah Kim, if he was actually a, a, became a, a really proficient star quarterback. You know, you're not running out of time with him. It's not like he's not he can't also be looked at like a young quarterback in that way. And given his size, he's probably not an NFL guy in a lot of ways. So you could have a really good college quarterback for three years. So I don't think you want to run from that either. Yeah, and I think that the size factor is something to keep in mind. I mean, it, I went back and looked through the starters last year, and at 185 pounds, Noah Kim would have been the lightest quarterback in the Big Ten a year ago by about 10 pounds. And that that's a factor once you get into – Power five play. It might not be a factor uh, against the Central Michigans and Richmonds of the world, but it absolutely is when when you start to see some of the bigger hits. And and really, even last year, that that Western Michigan game ultimately really is is what became the the initial undoing of Peyton Thorne when he went out on the the read option run and took a shot right late shot right in the ribs. Um, he was able to bounce up and bounce back from that. Then he gets hit again against Akron. I, I don't know if Noah Kim, because we haven't seen it, I don't know if Noah Kim could survive some of those big hits that Thorne took because Thorne had about 20, 30 pounds on him. And I think Hauser does as well. It was it was evident to Jerry DiNardo and the Big Ten Network crew when they were in practice, the size factor is maybe the one separator uh, between the two quarterbacks right now. I asked Malik Carr earlier this week, I said, you know, what does each do to impress you? He said, Caton uh, has been more accurate lately, and Noah has been more like the calm, cool, and collected. Um, mm. So that's, you know, again, those two different things there, um, you know, to kind of unpack. One, who's the be- best playmaker? I mean, you know that that sounds like, and I, it, by all accounts, Caden Hauser is more of a gunslinger, and he's admitted it as well, which means he's willing and and open to taking chances, which for a young quarterback oftentimes means turnovers. And when you hear the words "calm, cool, and collected," to me that means how do you respond from making mistakes and staying the course, which is where Kim is, and which you expect from a guy who's been in the program now for his fourth year. So. It's going to be fascinating. I think it's a different dynamic than in 2021 when Peyton Thorne got the job over Anthony Russo simply because I think there's just way more unknown between these two guys than there were those two guys. I mean, you had a start at Penn State on the road in a Big Ten environment for Thorne to build on. Uh, from and the you had a lot of film season. on Russo right? and a yeah. lot of film on Russo and a lot of right. I think twenty six or twenty seven starts at that point uh, at Temple, so he he had played mid major and Power Five teams out in the AAC. So yeah, that I, it, this this is t- a totally different dynamic I think than the twenty twenty one battle. And I do think I mean when Jay Johnson says that it's possible they could go with two quarterbacks, I'm not necessarily sure I buy that. But what I do think is is kind of what we were saying. I think these guys are going to have the first two games to to get their feet wet and see and show who can move the offense, who can move the chains more importantly, and keep the offense on the field because that was the biggest issue last year beyond anything else. And and 
we, we've talked about the idea that quarterback, it all plays out in the field. Like quarterback, that's a position that sort of decides itself. And that's the advantage of playing it out during games is you see who's smoothest. You see who's the playmaker. You see who deals with adversity. You see who's most accurate. And I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I got to imagine in the first two weeks, they have a plan for both. I, again, I, I, I think, I think just out of, if you have a plan for both, it would make sense to have Noah Kim under center first. He's the guy who's been around. He's, uh, I think it's easier to also replace the older guy with the younger guy, whereas if the younger guy were to struggle or... But the other side of that, though, is is there any loyalty that Mel Tucker and his staff have to guys that remain from Mark D'Antonio's recruiting classes? Yeah, that's a good question. I always think, and I've heard coaches say this before, and I think this is important as a coach, that when when you come to a school, you've chosen those players, and those are your players as much as the ones you recruit. Now, not every coaching staff feels that way or behaves that way, um, but ultimately, if you're Mel Tucker and the, and the staff, you want to win this year as many games as you can. The other thing is, and, and, I, and I, it, I come back to this with the idea of the open competition and Peyton Thorne and the idea that you know young players who have been told they'll get an opportunity want to see it play out, um, and you have to give guys a chance to compete. I mean, it's, it's, it's only fair just because a guy gets there first, even if he's still the stronger guy, doesn't mean – you don't have a younger guy with a higher ceiling, and and why does that? Why does be? Why does timing become everything? Right, just because he's got experience and all those things. I think also, you know, players know who the best player is, and if you don't play who the best player is, um, that that's a problem. Now, if there's no separation, and you and I in our time covering Michigan State, have we ever seen a time where there wasn't eventual clear separation? I don't think we have, but. But sometimes it takes a minute. It took a minute in 2013. It took a little bit of time, you know, before I was covering the team. But back with um, with with, uh, with uh, Cous- cousins and nickel, yeah, and nickel, and and so it, it can take a little bit of a minute. But there's always been eventual, fairly clear separation, and so that I I think we will you'll sort of know it when you see it. Well, from a coaching standpoint, and this again, when we talk about all the mitigating factors that go beyond just the performance on the field, just beyond the X's and O's, that extra COVID year is something that's an issue because Peyton Thorne still had a couple of years left and Noah Kim has that many years left. Are you going to want to, are you going to be able to, as a coaching staff recruit at that position every year, knowing that those high four and five star kids are looking and saying, well, you got a guy who been starting for you all year that that's now coming back with, Three more, two more years after this year. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a fascinating dynamic that kind of muddies the the decision making process based on the history. If that makes any sense, I, I do think that if Peyton Thorne had, had one year left only, yes. maximum that he could do, it might have been a really interesting, different place because easier to sell to other guys that you know, if you're Kate Hauser. Like Connor Cook, you, you you could have three years as the guy. Next, and the other thing that would have happened is, you would have known a year from now that and, and that Hauser and Levitt, Levitt then as a redshirt freshman, could compete, and one of those guys was going to be your guy instead of one being a true freshman. Where and, and that's why, like the idea that they didn't want Thorn back, I've always thought is is. I mean, I, I understand they wanted to give other guys looks, but it, it, it's just not it's just not the case because. Ultimately, with a guy like Sam Levitt, it's it's not ideal. I know he wanted to compete from day one, but it's not ideal if one of these other guys takes it and runs with it, and then you're finally ready to compete with it, and 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 somebody else is really entrenched too. And and I also know that that may open the competition up next year, and it may be a continuous deal. But it, it I I do think if there had been one year left, um, it would have been an, for Peyton Thorne maximum. It might have been a. a different dynamic for them to think about and I don't know if they would have played it differently yeah and it may it may have been handled differently from the outset with how the competition was opened all right let's uh let's look at some other uh positions let's go around the offense a little bit running back the name that you hear the most about that always pops is 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 Nate Carter now he played very little last year at UConn before he got hurt was productive before he did we haven't actually seen him at Michigan State and uh, know, we, we saw him in the spring a little bit. That's we, true. We did we get did to see him bit. in the spring, but it, but the running backs don't do it. There's not a ton they did there, and and 
so I I guess he is one of the guys I'm most intrigued about seeing just because they haven't been they haven't I don't want to say they've overhyped because we don't know what he is but they haven't been careful with their praise of him you know what I mean they're not they're not cautious about that they seem to think he's going to be a really good player and so I'm very curious to see and you don't hear the same you don't hear like Jalen Berger's name brought up as much and you sort of know what Berger is as a baseline I don't know what his ceiling is and everything but but Carter, you hear more, and that's interesting given that he's a new guy and you already have a guy like Berger entrenched. It, it is fascinating because I think there are, and I don't want to say comparisons to Kenneth Walker because that's going to be taken like, well, Nathan Carter runs the ball like Kenneth Walker and he does the things that Kenneth Walker does. What I'm trying to say is the praise and the things that we've seen and heard throughout the the summer and since the the spring, I think are similar to some of the things that we heard. Remember after that Northwestern game that Xavier, I think it was Xavier Henderson came in and apologized to us for not telling us a little bit more and letting the cat out of the bag about how good Kenneth Walker was. But I've yeah. but I've heard guys this year using the term home run hitter with with Nathan Carter, and that's a term that we heard right away about about Kenneth Walker. Uh, he, yeah, that's and, and again, you're, you're talking about a whole different set of circumstances there when you had a bunch of 60-year offensive linemen, 50-year offensive linemen, guys who had double-digit starts with over seven, eight guys that, that had already been in the program on the offensive line in front of them. So Walker walked into a pretty good offensive line from a depth standpoint from an experience standpoint, even though they had struggled previously. So I, I think that vision is something you've heard so much about. Uh, I think that's the thing that if if Carter can show better vision than Berger, and I'm not making any Walker comparisons here at all, if you can show better vision than Berger showed last year in terms of decisiveness and hitting the hole, speed and getting there, and the ability to power through it, I think he's the guy. And And – I'm not really sure where Jaron Mangum fits in this. You know, he's a fifth-year guy. He's a different kind of runner. He's a power back. I know he had been out of practice uh, at times during camp. But, again, veteran – I've said this before, veteran guys don't sometimes need to to have those preseason camps five, six years in a row, right? So, so Mangum, I think, gives you a different type of look. I think those three guys, though, can, can give them some depth and – Whatever happens with Jalen Barberin this season will be another fascinating thing because I think he's got elite speed. That if he can work his way into that group, who knows what what his future is? I mean, I think he's got a bright future, but I think they've got some guys in front of him right now. All right, let's look at receiver. Um, and obviously, this was Keon Coleman was supposed to be the headliner, the the go to guy, and you know, we'll, they they don't have that anymore. And the, the, the guy who's been around the most experienced, the guy who's going to be on the field all the time is, is, is a guy like Trey Mosley. We know that. We don't really know what his ceiling is as like a headliner. Is, is he one of those guys or is he a steady number two if you've got a good, you know, a, a good operation? I tend to think the high ceiling guys are the, the sort of redshirt freshman class um, the highest ceiling guys. Not that there aren't some good. I think Montori Foster can be a good player. I think there are other good players, but if they're going to have, and, and maybe you have, and if you have three guys who are veterans who are all really good at their craft, all just good, you might be absolutely fine at that position. But it does help to have a game breaker, and I, I wonder if that guy exists if it's not one of the younger players. Yeah. Uh- Gates, obviously Antonio Gates Jr. is one guy that you think about right away um, as a guy who runs precise routes and can get separation. I'm not sold that Montori Foster can't be as good as Keon Coleman, if not better. Remember two years ago when when they they went and Jalen Naylor got hurt, it wasn't Keon Coleman that moved into that starting role. It was Montori Foster, and this is a guy who's got a similar athletic pedigree in terms of a basketball player with Division One offers who was hurt with a foot injury last year, and you know that you know it, he, by all accounts he is a hard worker and a guy who I, I think like Nate Carter is a guy that in the weight room you've seen some things where you say this guy's got it you know what it takes to be 
a, a high impact football player. So I think, you know, assuming he can generate the speed with that foot, I think that's a big thing. I, I you know, the, the the guy who I think is, re, you know, he kind of gets a little bit lost in the shuffle is Christian Fitzpatrick. They don't have a six four guy like that. I mean, Foster isn't quite as big as Coleman, and Fitzpatrick is about that size, but doesn't necessarily have the same athletic ability. So I, I think, you know, they, they've got some depth there, bringing in Elante Brown. You know, maybe he's a guy that in the slot can give you some game-breaking plays. Maybe Henry or Glover can be the guy. And I think the the two freshmen, I mean, I think Jalen Smith in particular, has got a bigger body that might be a little ready for it as well. But I know that the, the Isaiah Johnson kid – also has got some some quicks to him as well. But listen, it's going to come down to chemistry. You know, I think, and I think that's going to be a fascinating watch as well because with Kim and Hauser working with the second and third units last year, I mean, they got reps with these guys. So who's going to have the best chemistry in moving the ball uh, down the field with what they already built last year? That's the thing. The quarterback could matter. We've seen that play out before where whoever that gets the job has a different vibe with different different receivers you're, you're talking about 2012 the all the same receivers who won a big 10 title in a rose bowl that next year with a different yeah. quarterback it was uh well and and you know but look we saw it too with with Jaden reed i mean and obviously that he was their best receiver so that made sense that there was but there was a connection there and you could see it you, yes you, you, there, there are times where where that makes a difference uh let, let's talk a little tight end um one of my favorite people to listen to, favorite coaches, is Ted Gilmer, because I think he is like I could have a beer with Ted, yeah. and um, he just sounds like he's got a little Lovey Smith to his draw. Um, he's I don't know, he just really mature dude, fun to listen to, and when he talks about Malik Carr, it, you know, he basically said I don't, you know, how their relationship has grown, and you wrote about this, and you know, <laughs> I don't need a twenty-two year old friend. <laughs> Such a great guy. And uh, so, I you know, but he was very clear that Malik Carr is the guy. Like there was no no, he's a, he's, he's the starter. The, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, that's literally the only the that's literally the only spot where we can say, oh, okay, he's going to be the starter. Right. There are a bunch of guys. You know, a year ago, it's a bunch of guys in the mix or whatever. You know, uh, Daniel Barker and all this. No, no, this was. This is him, and it sounds like he's taken a step in sort of embracing everything that goes with being a tight end. We'll see if that plays out. He's obviously got when you're looking for difference makers, and Mel Tucker has talked about the idea you got to have three or four of them on both sides of the ball to get where you want to go. He has the frame; he's the prototype of a guy who should be a difference maker for you. And I think MSU could really, really use that out of him. Oh yeah, I mean, particularly when you lose a guy like, well, two guys like Coleman and Reed, you need to get that downfield production somewhere and I think Carr's got the ability to do that we've seen him get separation and run away from linebackers that try to cover him and, and overpower some of the the slot guys who try and, and and get in there with him I don't know if they have another guy like that and that's I mean I don't know if many programs have a guy like that and but we've also had three years of hearing that Malik Carr is coming Malik Carr is is the next guy so he's got to show that too and I think his attitude I think is is pretty interesting you know I remember he came here and thought that he would be one year and then heading to the pros uh you know you got to have that kind of self-confidence but you also have to put in the the grind as coaches might say and that's something that Ted Gilmore said you know he wasn't there he wasn't blocking he wasn't doing all the things you need to do to be a tight end and now if he's really up to 6 7 and 272 pounds or whatever that's that's a big big dude and th- these quarterbacks are going to need that kind of presence from the tight end because those are I mean you you've heard it thousands of times in the history of football the tight end is a new quarterback's best friend and should be the guys behind him I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes because you know when you hear that none of those guys behind him have all of that um i'm not saying that's a, a concern because you know that's you, you really what car presents is kind of rare you know it's it's very much in, in similar fashion to coleman you know in terms of the athletic ability but you know a guy like Evan Morris and and uh, Falea and Jack Nickel, if they're better in the blocking game, um, Hopper and Franklin come in uh, as guys. And I think he, I think Hopper 
right now and Morris sound like they're the, the next two guys with Nickel and, and Philea right there as, as potential. And when you hear a coach say a guy needs to catch the ball more consistently at the tight end position, like Gilmore said about Jalen Franklin, who a guy he worked with at Wisconsin, uh, that, that kind of sets off alarm bells when you hear it because if you're not catching the ball, that's a quick way to ruin a quarterback's confidence. You know, they talk about depth a lot of places. And at quarterback, because there's, as far as we know, there's no great clear separation yet, right? There's no real concern about injury <laughs> because the next guy can't be that, it can't be that much worse. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that might, um, but at tight end, at a position that you can get nicked up and the Malik Carr's had some injury issues, I do think it, it his availability could really impact this offense in this season. And that I, I'm curious to see how, you know, they, they need to keep him healthy and playing well. And, and I remember last year seeing him in the red jersey during preseason camp, and it took him a while to kind of catch up. So, I mean, you know, we, we saw on the Big Ten Network him in a red jersey, but then he was out there in highlights in the scrimmage. You know, I don't. I try not to read too much into the red jerseys during camp because guys are sometimes being protected. But there are important guys that you see that if they enter a season nicked up like Jaden Reed did last year, and then you're you're not at 100% physically and you start taking those hits and you find yourself out by week three. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's something that they cannot have happen to Malik Carr this year. All right, let's go to the offensive line. Speaking of red jerseys. Yeah, well, I mean, and but they at least they have a little more depth to withstand, uh, you know, injuries and and, th- but they need this group, this they need this group to take a step this year, um, and they need. I mean, the problem is, and I've, I've said this before with the offensive line stuff, if every year injuries are crippling your offensive line, then it's also a recruiting issue because you're just not recruiting enough good players to be the guy behind them, right? It can't be your every year storyline. You can have a year once every three years where it's like, ah, oh, the offensive line got injured again. But if the offensive line's injured every year, that's just what happens in football. You need to have more guys. Um, I'm curious to see the depth of talent, um, you know, and whether they can get a group that that uh, that can actually move somebody. Depth in theory versus depth in actuality is something that you don't see until the bullets are live. I mean, you can tell me that the redshirt freshmen and sophomores are ready to become key contributors. But until I'm seeing that on game days, they're, you know, they're going against your own team and what they know It's what they, what it's the guys that they don't know and how they handle that. I think there were times last year with, with Baldwin and, and Brown in particular, where, I mean, both of them at times look like turnstiles and you can't have that at the tackle spot. But there's also year-by-year growth, and I think they those were important, important snaps that they played. I mean, Brown in his first year as a starter got every game. I think he started the pit game at, at the end of the 2021 season, and Baldwin started the first game against Western uh, for Jarrett Horst and then took over when Horst went AWOL at the end of the season like he did two years ago. Um, so those and that and and Baldwin's a guy who's transitioning from basketball to football in some ways, even though he played football a lot. I mean, he's he's I think a little bit raw. I think that, but I mean, it, the talk is among Chris Kep- Kapilovich and, and the coaches that guys like Ethan Boyd and uh, Kevin, uh, or excuse me, uh, Keyshawn Blackstock are pushing those two guys in particular at tackle. So that tells me that there's a little more depth, right? But the question is what's happening with Nick Samak? I mean, ultimately that's going to be the interior is right now a question, you know, Samak admitted he had an upper body injury that has kept him out for a good chunk of preseason camp, but he's also a fifth year guy who's been through all these camps. So is he going to be ready for, for game day is really the only thing that you, you wonder about. And, you know, what happens then if he isn't? Well, do you shuffle the interior because both Gino Vandemark and, and J.D. Duplain have been handling snaps during camp at times? Um, the the primary guy has been Dallas Fincher. Uh, so do you plug and play with Fincher? Does that make you the best offensive line? Or does moving one of those other guys over and bringing in one of the younger tackles like Christian Phillips or Kevin Wigginton, um 
uh, is that something that that makes you better? Because both of those guys have been talked about in Phillips and, and Wigginton as guys on the interior who can can move people. And, you know, I, I, Phillips, big dually, was a guy who's a massive human. So that's a bigger size guard than really anybody you got. So I, I think it's fascinating to, to see. I want to see if they're going to be able to, in the first half, roll out the second offensive unit, the second offensive line, and how those guys handle Central Michigan uh, in week one if they can do that. Because if they're not comfortable in putting out a full unit and they just keep putting guy here, guy there, uh, I think the depth might be a little more mirage and hope for later in the season than it is at the, at the outset. Okay, speaking of places with depth, what may be the strength of the team, and, and, and one of the things that Tucker is, you know, leading, getting the horses to the race is something Tucker is is concerned about, and and having his best guys, and it could be the offensive line, and the defensive line too, getting the Simeon Barrows there healthy, getting, you know, that group there because, again, you talk about depth, but Simeon Barrows a pro, and you can have good players behind him, but you don't have, uh, you know, a three technique the same as him on your roster, and so like the. To me, they, 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 I do, they do have increased depth. I think you'll see a better rotation. Guys not playing as many snaps, um, but that group, and and I think, you know, when you talk about a, a position group where they may have a chance to help separate themselves, and not just help separate themselves, but also be good enough that a young secondary has some advantages because the group in front of them is so good. Uh, you've got experienced linebackers. You know, I, I, I think that how good this defensive line actually is is really paramount to the season. Yeah, those interior guys, I mean, there are to me there are four guys who are potential pros. Um Barrow, Sammy, Derek Harmon, Maverick Hansen. I'm, you know, yeah. the three guys that were here last year at times were all banged up with Barrow, Hartman and Hansen. Uh, they played through him. Uh, Barrow, I think, sat out a couple games. Jacob Slade was in and out, but he's off to the pros now as well. But that's, I think, the one place where, you know, even it, it was a little surprising that they brought in Jalen Sammy, quite honestly, because I thought with Alex Van Summeren taking that next step, uh, he was able to preserve his red shirt last year. Uh, but again, another guy that you've seen in a red jersey on the BTN special that you know, doesn't necessarily seem like he's ready. And I don't feel like we've seen anything from the two other transfers, Jared Jackson and Dre Butler, all the way back to the spring when they were on the sidelines uh, out of uniform. So um, I think those four guys with, with Barrow, Sammy Harmon, and Hanson are really as, as good of a quartet as you're going to see in the Big Ten. And then if you can throw in Adelaide on rush packages uh, in the middle, that, that gives you another dynamic that you don't necessarily have with anybody else, but he's also, you know, uh, you know, you talk about what Malik Carr is at the tight end spot. I think Adelaide is at the defensive end spot as well in that he, he can be a bigger guy, but he can also be on the edge and, and increase your pass rush. Yeah. He, he's an interesting player and, and I'm, I'm curious to see, um, you know, how he's used and, and, um, and I'm, I'm curious to see the, 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 the entire, like, you know, you know, by Job, how how quickly is a guy like that a part of things? You know, is there a package where he's ready now? Um, you know, rush end is not. I don't want to um, belittle the position is is in terms of deep thoughts, but it is a position you can play early without. It's the opposite of tight end, which is, op- is weird because it's the opposite position in some ways. But like tight end next to quarterback is some will say is the most complex, maybe center. But you're just you've got to know the concepts in the run and pass. You've got to do a lot of stuff. You've got to really understand things. A defensive end, you if you've got a young guy who can beat somebody to the edge, you can put him out there and 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 certainly in passing situations and get something out of him. And I'm I'm curious to see, you know, do they have guys among this group on the edge? Do they have what what coaches will say is an edge guy? I mean, I think Chris Bogle is you know hurt last year. We saw some flashes from him. Uh, when he was healthy, I, what what is his ceiling? I, I don't I don't really have a great feel for that at the Big Ten level. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the SEC is that you know it doesn't really show as a proving ground. 
Well, no, what I mean though is like <laughs> I, 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 before he got, I mean, he got hurt. He was good against like mid majors, is what I mean. You know, that's like, fair. You haven't that's seen, fair. And, and you know, it, it's sort of like, um, you know, we saw this with Jacoby Winmon, like when he was still well, playing defensive end, he looked really good against the the mid majors. And then they, you know, when you, you went up up a level, it was like, oh, this guy should be a linebacker. You know, you yeah. got a position here. Yeah. And he, so he, I, I want to see Bogle against high majors. No, I, I, I agree with you, but I do think that, you know, the difference in size between Bogle and Winman is a little bit in terms of length and arm reach, yes, which you need. Yes, yes. Um, You know, I, I think Bogle uh, and Adelaide right now, to me, are the guys that you put out there and start, but... I wouldn't be shocked to see a guy like Zion Young who who was suspended for the final four games, but when they had all those injuries before that with Bogle and Petrowski and everybody else, Zion Young was really making some some headway as a freshman last year. So he, he's got some size and reach advantage to him as well that I think will put him right in the mix potentially to start. Um, but you mentioned about the young and you mentioned about the young guys. And I think there's two things that you ideally you want to have a complete defensive end that can do both, but you can put a young guy out there and do one of two things, see ball, get ball or see quarterback, get quarterback. And, you know, I think from, from the accounts that I'm hearing, Andrew DePape is the guy that's see ball, get ball and, and has that ability in the run game when, where Job has that freakish athletic ability to overpower a defender off the snap and, the quickness to get around a tackle and, and get inside and cause disruption in the backfield for quarterbacks. So I, I'm fascinated with those two guys. I'm I'm curious about Ken Talley and Jalen Thompson, uh, two guys that we haven't heard a lot about. I know Callie was a guy that we saw in a red jersey, and Thompson didn't arrive until the summer. Um, so I, I think the, the, the other two freshmen might be a little farther ahead um, from that respect. And Talley had a full year in the program as well as a four-star guy and you know then what do you you have veteran guys who've had experience in brandon wright and avery dunn um you know that they're deeper at edge rusher and that they can withstand one or two injuries i I think at this point mike the experience level drops off from there um and again with adelaia i mean you hear that he is just a, a freakish athlete on the edge at getting to the quarterback and, and being that guy, the edge guy that you're talking about. But we don't have a lot of game film, even at Texas A&M, to really say that. How's he, how's he going to be when that Washington team comes in, when they, they go to Iowa, when they face those bigger tackles, cornerstone tackles that you see around the Big Ten? I think that's, you know, this is, this is I think, a, the biggest high ceiling group, but also I don't know what to expect yet in terms of how quickly they can reach that ceiling. Linebacker is probably the most settled starting spot with Cal Halliday and Winman. Um, just two kind of proven guys who bring give you different things. Uh, you, you sort of know that what Aaron Brule is. He's a good, good player, but it's probably not going to knock one of those guys out of it. Um, you get a young player like Jordan Hall, who they really love, who arrived early, who's got, I mean, I think whose role will only increase quickly as his career goes on. So it'll be interesting to watch his role this season and how much he's brought in. You know, it, he, he's going to play. He's going to play a lot. And I think he's in a really good spot, frankly, where uh, he's not, you know, he do, does have guys, he does have a guy like Halliday in front of him, you know, and that's. It's not a bad place to be as a true freshman, even if you're a really savvy kid. Um, and so, I I think this could be a position of like solid strength in some ways. I don't think it's a position where they separate themselves from other teams, so to speak. But they're fine here, and if they have a good defensive line, they're gonna have good linebackers. I, I think this is a position where they're they're good, and they, they, and, it will, and and it'll be interesting to see Winman with a full year at a natural position. And I think the other part of that is that unlike the defensive line, you don't need six, eight guys um, because, one, you're running that four-two-five most of the time, although I think they had success with a 4-3 last year um, late in the year to, it, at slowing down the run despite their personnel limitations those final four games. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that continues or if they keep Forcing, force feeding that four two five with the two linebackers. You know, I, I think Brule showed some things when Winman was out that were very Winman like, 
and he's an experienced guy of who also came from the SEC like uh, Chris Bogle did. So, uh, you know, that I think Hall, though, you can tell just his demeanor, his his words, and, and the praise that he's got, he's going to be a special kind of leader that, you know, you've seen those linebackers come around even back in my day like Reggie Garnett and Ike Reese and, and, and all those guys that, that came before and after them. Uh, I think Hall is that kind of cornerstone guy in the program and really in the middle of the defense. I'm fascinated to see what Aaron Alexander does, the Massachusetts transfer, um, because, listen, we don't know what the status of Darius Snow is. We don't know. Ma Naoteote hasn't been in practice either um, at times during camp. So those two guys were your most experienced guys, and their depth was down to the point where Harold Joyner moved for his third position from running back to tight end or running back to safety. And now he's at linebacker, which, you know, he's obviously got the athletic ability to contribute on special teams. I don't know how quickly a mid camp move to linebacker can get you on the field on defense, but uh, it's clear they need some depth there. And I think that's where Alexander, they're going to need him to come along quickly as well. Um, But yeah, but I I think those, I mean, Halliday and women are, are the guys and, you know, that's, that's going to be, I think they need those two guys with without Xavier Henderson there to be the vocal leaders in the middle. Halliday's probably not necessarily. He's more of a lead by by play. And Winman is a guy who I think can, you know, we still we saw that early in the year last year before his suspension after that tunnel fight that that Winman ha- has a voice that that his teammates listen to. The um, defensive backfield, you know, Chuck Brantley deciding to stay. I think was was helpful uh, because it is there and there are some you know there's some there's some guys with some experience the Angela Grosses you know um, uh, and some young guys who got some experience last year but it also could be with it, it's safety with like Jaden Magum and, and, and Malik Spencer and we'll see where Magum plays and, and um, you know it, with with, um, with Tatum and and you know where how they use him like. It could be a fairly inexperienced defensive backfield, but I also think it could be a defensive backfield with guys who have a decently high ceiling, some of those players. And so it'll be interesting to watch how they handle it. Yeah, I mean, I think we we talked with Mel Tucker after the first scrimmage and before the second scrimmage, and there was audible and visible frustration, particularly when he talked about getting the horses to the race and staying healthy um you watch back that btn special there were five defensive backs in red jerseys that that's a cautionary sign right there um again like i said earlier you don't necessarily try to read too much into that um because guys can be in and out with whatever it could be a twisted ankle one day it could be you know a banged up wrist that needs taped up something like that um those things happen it's football um but you know some of those guys are, I mean, Brantley's a guy that's got experience. Um, they, they need him on the field. Um, Gross, I thought, last year, uh, when he was at safety, uh, oh, Mangum, by the way, Mangum was another guy that we saw in the red jersey on the BTN special and, and has been out of practice at times. So to me, that's, I think, where Angelo Gross might be a, a pivotal guy. He moved into the nickel late in the season because early in the year you could tell I think there was a play at the Washington game that he just got burnt and was trying to chase and did not have the giddy up and you could tell that he was banged up last year I think becomes pivotal right now because I, you can move a guy like Chester Kimbrough into the nickel and, and he's got experience there um, and if you need to move a guy back to safety if Mangum is out at the outset of the year Gross is a guy who's got a, you know, a full season plus of starting experience there, and and really, they might even need him to be a vocal voice there. I like I like what I've seen early from uh, from uh, Malik Spencer. I, I think he is going to be a dynamic force to watch in the coming years, and really an interesting dude to talk to. Uh, and I think he's a hard hitter. He he kind of reminds me of some of those downhill safeties that that Mark D'Antonio had in some ways, and, and then. You know, beyond that, you know, 
what do you do? I mean, you know, you're really young. I mean, a guy like Caleb Coley could make an impact at corner. Marquis Lowry has been hurt a lot, but is a guy that has the length and size that Mel Tucker likes at cornerback. Uh, they brought in the two transfers, Terry Roberts from Iowa and Samar Melvin from Wisconsin. So they're, those are guys that, you know, should be pushing for starting jobs. You know, perhaps Roberts ends up o- overtaking one of those two guys, or maybe maybe they feel that Tatum moving back to safety is is something that would would make them better. I don't know. I, I think there's there's so many question marks, uh, and you know, this is this is to me, you know, I kind of mentioned that earlier about the defensive end spot. This is the 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 low floor to high ceiling. If that group is bad, if that group struggles, if that group has communication issues like it did last year, this could be a long season. Um, if that group elevates its play year over year from from the experience that some of those guys got last year, they've got a chance to slow things down, particularly if the defensive line can get home. The kicking game, it is uh, a position that I don't want to say it's been ignored in terms of conversation because – is we've gotten closer and closer to football season, I get asked more and more about it, right? <laughs> People are a little concerned uh, just because you lose your kicker, you lose a great punter, obviously. And for a team that has a, I think, a, you know, might have a pretty slim margin of error, the kicking game could be the difference between four and seven wins just in how you yeah. you, you execute there, uh, punting and, and, and getting points and, and field goals and everything. So Cost them the Indiana game. Yeah, so... I think this is, you know, and, and people say, well, what's going on in practice? My thought on kickers especially is it that is an in-game evaluation thing. Like the pressure is so different. I, you know, I, I used to, by the way, if you didn't know this, I covered Western Michigan, lived in Kalamazoo. I thought you were um, going to tell me you were a kicker, and I would have been like, man, no, how'd you hide no, this no, from us? No, 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 back to the Western Michigan, do a shot. Yeah, yeah, no, I went, I once kicked a 35-yard field goal there, um, but the uh, – I remember one specific guy they had, Fort Lauderdale kid, you know, great leg, just did not, you know, I mean, was great in practice, you know, what I mean? like, yeah. just in games, didn't have the 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 mental fortitude uh, for the position, and I, I, that can that can happen. So, and, and you have a, a you know a guy in in in, in Jonathan Kim, who you know is known for having a big leg, but w- will he? be uh, an accurate kicker because ultimately while it's great to be able to capitalize when you you're within 50 yards you need three points with you when you're within 40 yards you you want the stat of the year going into this season particularly on the special team side michigan state has kickers with a combined two field goal attempts and punters with a combined two punts in their career one apiece for each of them and neither of the kickers have made a collegiate field goal so it should be a warning sign. And, you know, I, I think that we've seen 15 minutes of practice a couple times during camp, and conspicuously absent is any semblance of the kicking game. And a lot of times, most years, that's usually all we'll see. Yeah. I mean, particularly under Mark D'Antonio, a lot of times we would see some special teams periods and nothing on offense, nothing on defense. We've seen drill work but we haven't seen the kickers out there doing their thing. So Mel Tucker says he expects it to be a, a more productive uh, a productive position at punter. It's going to be hard to get, you know, replace an All-American regardless uh, at any point. But Bryce Berenger was such a weapon and really, boy, I mean, you think about how many times Bryce Berenger saved them. I mean, how many games did he maybe win for them last year by flipping the field? No, it it it's it'll be, yeah. No, it, it's it's going to be an interesting deal, and, and uh, you know, I I just think it it could be. I mean, it, it, look, quarterback's the most important position in a lot of ways. I, I still think the 2016 team, if they had adequate quarterback play, might have won six games instead of going three and nine for everything else that went wrong. Like quarterback play is the most impactful, but on a team like this MSU team that might be in a lot of close games, <laughs> that that. You cannot leave points on the board. You cannot afford to have disadvantages in field position. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with punt returner and kick returner in terms of you know uh, whether somebody emerges there and gives them a real 
Jaden Reed type threat. That was a, a luxury they had after years of not really having much there. Um, so you know, and that can obviously play a factor too. If you can have somebody who can, you know, bust one or two in the course of a year and, and have a few possessions where you're you're starting at the fifty because you flip the field in that sense. I mean, those are those are things that we'll see if anybody really has the knack for that. Yeah, I mean, Tyrell Henry got some experience last year on kick returns, so he could be a guy in both yep. of those spots. I think Alante Brown is a guy that they brought yep. in who's got a chance to do that. I think in the kick side, I mean, Montori Foster has done that historically as well on the kick returns. I mean, that's the thing is, like, you've got so many. And, and maybe that's a spot where you get a freshman like Jalen Barber involved, it, right. a guy that's got elite speed and if he's running back vision, if you're able to m- create a role for him on one of those and he can break them. He's got game-breaking speed. Does he have the vision and and instincts at this point to, to kind mm-hmm. of do that? And ball security. And sure hands, yeah, I was going to say. Ball security. Yeah, that's the other thing. I yeah, mean, listen, yeah. I mean, that's if you— the most important thing. Yeah, it is the single most important thing. I mean, if you're not—if you aren't judging the punts, you can't be out there. We will come back and do another one of these next week, and we'll get more into the matchup with Central Michigan and uh, how we think that's going to play out. It'll also be after Mel Tucker's Monday press conference, so if there is an update on the quarterback position, I don't think we'll get one— um, we will, you know, we'll have the latest. In other words, on any any news that, that that's sort of coming out of things, uh, I my guess, Chris, is that we're going to go into Friday night the the way we went into Friday night two years ago at Northwestern. Uh, not a hundred percent sure who's taken who's taken the field at quarterback. You agree? I completely agree, and I think it's going to also be who's going to have the second and third series too. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's I, I think it's going to be a, a little bit of a, re, a revolving door at, at times to see where those guys are, and I, I anticipate that. But, you know, I didn't know what to expect either at Northwestern, and basically one guy took all the snaps that year. Yep, yep, and yeah, that's right. Somebody could take it and run with it, and it becomes clear and obvious, and that sometimes that sometimes happens, and, and if you – if you've covered Michigan State, and if you're of any age or you followed them for any years, you know you're very aware that the more heralded guy doesn't always win the job, and in Michigan State, almost never wins the job, which is weird. Which makes me believe like the most heralded guy is due. <laughs> At some point, <laughs> the four star kid is going to win the job um, because it just it just hasn't happened. Um, we will be back, as I said, next week. Probably do that, uh, you know, middle of the week uh, or you know Tuesday, Wednesday sort of deal. Uh, We appreciate you listening. Uh, This has been a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. Please rate, subscribe, throw fruit, however you feel. Um, Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.